You're listening to the Party in My Plants podcast, and because I'm on my annual summer beach vacay, I wanted to share some summer reading from my book with you right now. Welcome to the Party in My Plants podcast, where I make healthy living as fun as a party so you'll, you know, actually want to do it and then actually feel, look, and live your best. I'm your host, Talia Pollock. Now let's get this party started. So, you know, I wrote a book, right? Well, even though it's a cooking one, I was able to stuff more words in it than I do spinach and smoothies. And in this episode, which I'm recording just before I go on my annual summer beach vacation where I will be glued to sand and books for three weeks, I wanted to read some words from my book all about my thoughts on the triumphant trio, cheese, gluten, and protein. Oh my. So obviously, if this tickles your fancy, by the way, did you know that my second AIM screen name, the one after my first one, Green Apple Girly, was Tickle Me Talia? I was so on brand even back then. But you have my full permission to go purchase Party in Your Plants, 100 plus plant-based recipes and problem-solving strategies to help you eat healthier without hating your life, anywhere books are safely and sanitarily sold. Partyinyourplants.com will take you to all the major retailers, or you can just hop your fingers on over to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, or Walmart and buy yourself and your best friend a copy today. That's partyinyourplants.com to grab a copy or 19 of my book that an Amazon reader said, I've been following Talia for at least a few years and was so excited to hear about her book, and it did not disappoint. I've purchased cookbooks from chefs I admire before, but this is the first book I actually regularly cook from. That's because her recipes are easy, simple, approachable, healthy, and most importantly, her words, not mine, delicious. She comes across in the book just like she does on her podcast and Instagram. Funny, fun, authentic, and informative. I'm vegan, she's saying this, and would highly recommend this to all my friends, vegans and non-vegans alike. I love this book. Thank you. I love that review. And since this episode talks about plant protein, who better to sponsor it than my go-to plant protein, Sun Warrior? It's not groundbreaking information that I love Sun Warrior's plant protein powder. You've seen it be the main ingredient in my protein waffles for years now. But for a few weeks now, I've been really slurping up one of their newest protein blends called Lean Meal. I'm actually drinking it right now. Can you hear it in the shaker cup? insert sound effect here. No, this is real life. (laughs) In a summer as hot as this one, my appetite for like big meals has been meh. And that's why I've been really loving adding two scoops of Sun Warrior's lean meal. I love the snickerdoodle and chocolate flavors. I'm currently drinking the chocolate flavor. I add it to nice cold almond milk and I splash a little water in a shaker cup and I sip that baby up as like a mini lunch. It tastes like a milkshake and it's a very solid product with 15 grams of organic protein from organic and fermented yellow peas, organic superfoods, the equivalent of one veggie serving and one fruit serving, billions literally of probiotics, a whole medley of mushrooms and organic green coffee bean for a lovely little energy boost. It has really been a great addition to my hot summer no appetite days. 
If you want to get your tan hands on Sun Warrior's lean meal for 20% less than the rest of the world pays to get their hands on it, just use the code PARTYINMYPLANTS at checkout on their site, sunwarrior.com. That's code PARTYINMYPLANTS on sunwarrior.com. Okay. So I think we should start with my thoughts on gluten. This is from page 10. Should you get jiggy without gluten? I'm sure your mother taught you, don't just do what everyone else is doing. If everyone was jumping off the roof, does that mean that you jump off the roof too? But in the case of going gluten-free, it's worth considering following the crowd. Not because ditching gluten is cool, it's certainly not fun to annoy waiters at restaurants, it's because going gluten-free can be wonderful. The problem is when people decide to go gluten-free, they often search for any replacement that's labeled gluten-free. That is not the right way to start your GF-less journey. A big reason this diet can be life-changing is because when you cut out gluten, you cut out the majority of the processed food in your day-to-day. Switching to packaged gluten-free cookies and crackers may mean you're just eating more processed junk. Okay, so what is gluten? Gluten is a protein found in wheat, rye, and barley. It's what gives dough its elasticity and strength. It's derived from the Latin word for glue. The bagels that we get at the coffee shop are vastly different from the wheat our grandparents ate. That was the real deal, an unprocessed grain that gave them sustenance and a place to spread their homemade jam. It's a far cry to even call what we've got going on today wheat, which is why a lot of our bodies don't know what to do with it. Today's wheat is largely grown on mineral-depleted soil from engineered seeds that are disease-resistant but also less nutritious. After that wheat is harvested, it gets stored in silos for a long time, where it often gets contaminated with molds and fungi, and not in a cute kombucha kind of way. And when it gets baked into industrial-produced bread, there's often extra gluten added to the dough to make it more elastic. These days, wheat is one of the most common food allergies among Americans, in the top eight that make up the 90% of all food-related allergic reactions. Its troublemaking protein can mean your liver has to work overtime to try to detox it. That toxic reaction in which your body freaks out because it thinks you just ate poison triggers your immune system to get all worked up, which can cause your intestinal tract to become inflamed, which can cause you pain. It's quite possible and even probable that you have a gluten intolerance and don't know it. Some symptoms are obvious, like abdominal pain after eating or bloating and gas after eating. Other clues are less obvious because they don't hit immediately. These sneaky signs can be foul-smelling poop, sorry to be blunt, mouth sores, skin rashes, muscle cramps, joint pain, irritability, depression, diarrhea, randomly and regularly, not just after eating. Generally, eating loads of glutinous grains, aka processed wheat, has a negative impact on your entire well-being. It can cause crazy sugar and carb cravings, weight gain and or an ability to lose weight, cellulite, mood spikes. A recent study in the New England Journal of Medicine listed 55 diseases and ailments that can be caused by eating gluten. Things like IBS, my best friend, inflammatory bowel disease, cancer, anemia, osteoporosis, regular fatigue, canker sores, rheumatoid arthritis, MS. But I don't have celiac disease. Should I still kiss gluten goodbye? You might be wondering. 
Celiac disease is this type of inflammation and pain on a regular basis, but a much larger scale. If you have celiac disease, you cannot and should not touch gluten with a 12-foot pole. This is a listen to your body situation. Cut it out for a week and see what's up with your body temple. If you feel even subtly more awesome than you did before giving gluten the cold shoulder, keep it going for a month before reading your verdict to the judge. Because I prioritize digestive ease over sluggishness, but because I don't have an intolerance or allergy, I eat a low-gluten diet. Do I panic if the only lunch place at the beach offers sandwiches? No. Do I cook and bake with gluten-free or low-gluten grains and flours? Yes. My faves, which you'll see in my recipes, are brown rice and brown rice flour, quinoa, oats, which are often planted and are processed alongside glutinous grains, so there's a risk of cross-contamination. So if you're avoiding any traces of gluten whatsoever, you'll have to buy labeled gluten-free oats. Otherwise, you can just get the normal variety. I use almond flour, aka almond meal, chickpea flour, spelt flour, which note does have gluten but is easier to digest for some folks with mild intolerance. All righty, and now here are my thoughts on cheese in a section titled On Cheese. As I mentioned, back when I used to perform stand-up, I had a joke about people telling me, I could never live without cheese. I'd go, really? Pretty sure you couldn't live after getting hit by a truck or falling off a cliff, but a mozzarella stick deficiency, not likely a cause of death. I didn't say it was a great bit, but because I believed that this whole thing was bogus, I delivered it with so much conviction that everybody LOL'd. I was cheerfully cheese-free for 10 years. But then, four years ago in Greece, I tried soft goat cheese and feta and pecorino, which is Parmesan sheep cheese doppelganger. And soon, I became the butt of my own joke. Because quite frankly, I now could never live without cheese. But here's how I healthfully live with it. Number one, cheese is not a staple ingredient. Cheese is a once in a while treat to make other things taste super good. My vote is that every so often you can gleefully savor the experience of adding a dairy delight to a dish. But cheese is a garnish, not a base. And it's a once in a while treat, like a face mask, not a staple, like a face wash. Number two, cheese quality matters a lot, the most. I am more attentive to the quality of my occasional cheese treat than I am to spelling errors on birthday cards. And this means no cow cheese. It is just too pumped with antibiotics and Lord knows what else having to do with our country's messed up industrial farm system for my body to break down, which is a big part of what leads to the bummer side effects of dairy that we talked about earlier. But I don't have a cow about it. Instead, I go for the goat and the sheep. Goat milk is easier on our bods than cow's milk. It's lower in lactose for one, which makes it easier for us to digest. Lactose, the sugar found in dairy, is part of what makes dairy so yucky for our bodies to begin with. So choosing a lower lactose alternative will be gentler on your digestion and less likely to cause allergic reactions like skin issues. 
Casein, which is a protein found in milk from cows, goats, and sheep, is another reason so many of us are dairy intolerant. But not all casein is the same. When we react negatively, IBS, gastrointestinal struggles, acne, and eczema to dairy, it's A1 beta casein that we're sensitive to, which is found in milk produced by the majority of dairy cows in the United States, Western Europe, and Australia. Goat milk, on the other hand, contains a 2-beta casein, which is less inflammatory and less likely to cause an intolerance. In fact, the chemical composition of goat milk makes it similar to human breast milk, which is why some cultures wean their babies by giving them goat milk. Also, since goat milk is more popular in other countries, 50% of the goat cheese produced consumed in the United States are imported from France, which has much stricter food regulations. And the goat and sheep milk industry here aren't as effed up as the cow milk industry. Goats and sheep aren't pumped with steroids and antibiotics the way cows are. So, when I do buy cheese, it's only made from goat milk or sheep milk. And when I'm out and about, I ask which lactating animal it comes from, which sometimes means the server has to ask the chef. And then the chef has to get her package of the cheese and read the label. Because here's a not fun fact about feta. It's often phony. A lot of feta served in restaurants in the United States is actually a feta-style cheese from cow's milk. If I ask and find out that the feta cheese comes from cow, not goat or sheep, I, not so sheepishly, say no thanks. Number three, cut the cheese. I avoided all dairy for 10 years, and it was rad. I got thrust into the dairyless life while working my first job at Coldstone Creamery. Let me rephrase. While working my dream job at Coldstone Creamery. Singing parody songs while serving people the one thing in the world that's impossible to not smile at while receiving. While stuffing my face with all I could eat ice cream and waffle cones before we got customers at 10.30 a.m. and during lulls throughout the day. Until that time, I realized that I'd made myself lactose intolerant. Dear reader, I almost pooped in my pants. The long story short is that I was on antibiotics. This was years before Gwyneth gooped about probiotics. So unbeknownst to me, for two weeks, I had been depleting my stomach of any helpful microbes while filling up on gallons of ice cream. It came to a head while I was driving around with a friend of mine. I squeezed my cheeks and prayed while rocking out to Gnarls Barkley's mega-hit Crazy, which was both popular and appropriate at the time. After the near poopsident, I got a restraining order on all cheese, milk, cream, butter, or ice cream that came from an animal. And that, coupled with my plant revelation four years later, changed my body and life and yada yada yada. But then, on a whim, I tried that goat cheese. It was in a salad I really wanted, and I didn't want to try to say no cheese, please, in Greek, because I'd seen the owner throw a plate a few minutes prior, which I knew was to celebrate what was still scary. I waited. I didn't feel sick. I actually felt good. Years before, listening to my body meant cutting out all dairy. Now, it meant taking baby steps back into a sometimes relationship with it. Some of us digest dairy better than others. Pay attention to any negative effects of eating dairy, even high-quality dairy, like skin issues, digestive distress, and congestion. If you're not sure, cut it out completely for two to three weeks and then reintroduce it slowly. If you feel the same and your skin's the same, then you're good to go. If you look and feel different, you'll be incentivized to lay low. Number four, don't fake it, make it. 
When people decide to switch dairy, they tend to switch to processed fake cheeses and sugary pints of dairy-free ice cream. Switching from loads of dairy to loads of crap food is about as good for your body as switching from regular cigarettes to regular cigars. Instead, make a substitute with real ingredients that'll help you get past those creamy cravings. And that's when I go into all my um, dairy-free cheese recipes in the book. Okay, now let's round this baby off with my bit about protein on page 43. What about protein? (sighs) Elephant in the room. Steak on the plate. Gorilla, who eats a plant-based diet, FYI, in the jungle. I want to address the protein thing right up top because I'm as sick of hearing, where do you get your protein, as Rachel is about hearing Ross say, we were on a break. In this case, the protein thing has a definite right answer. When I first started eating primarily plants back in the day, as in when Netflix was still a mail-in-order DVD rental service, the main rebuttal I had for those cliché jokes, condescending questions, genuine concern, was basically, leave me alone. Fast forward four years, and I had upped my exercise from spinning and hot yoga to insanity, P90X, crossfit type stuff, and I found myself getting colds after workouts and not getting the toned muscles that lifting weights promised me. My now husband, then new boyfriend, a then big meat eater, now big plant eater, would look at my dinners of brown rice pasta with pesto and veggies and ask, uh, darling, where's the protein? And I'd snap back that I'd get enough protein from plants and eat a whole avocado to try to get full. It's no wonder my body was squishy, not swole. No wonder I was always hungry. Eventually, I bought a bag of brown rice plant protein like the buff guys at the gym. It was straight out of an infomercial. I added that protein to my smoothie and was like, golly, there is a better way because I felt full and satisfied for hours. Then I started adding beans or tofu or tempeh to my meals and that fab extra flab started to fade away like those Netflix DVDs. It turns out that the whole enough protein from plants rebuttal only works if you work it. Your goal from here on out is to intentionally add protein to every meal. Bonus points if you can add it to every snack too. Protein, by the way, isn't just clutched because you lift heavy things or because you're fear-mongered about its importance. Protein is what fills you up, as in no moss shoveling an entire bag of popcorn in your mouth at three because you're ravenous still after lunch. In the same vein, Protein is what helps to alleviate those unpleasant blood sugar roller coaster rides, which can prevent the scientific condition known as hanger. Protein helps your body build and repair tissues, bones, muscles, cartilage, skin, and blood, make cool chemicals like hormones and enzymes, and keep your immunity, heart, and respiratory system strong AF. Here's what's sick about getting your protein from plants. It gives you all the above benefits without also giving you high cholesterol, clogging your arteries, or turning your body into an acidic disease-developing machine. This is pretty exciting stuff for plant protein, and for you. And so here are my favorite plant proteins to party with. Tofu, which has 10 grams of protein per half cup. Tempeh, which has 16 grams of protein per half cup. Edamame, which has 17 grams of protein per cup lentils, which have 18 grams of protein per one cup cooked, beans, which have 15 grams of protein per cup, peas with 9 grams of protein per cup, 
chickpea and lentil pastas with 14 grams per two ounces, brown rice protein powder, cough, cough, sun warrior, 18 grams of protein-ish per quarter cup, which is usually one scoop, quinoa, 8-ish grams of protein per half a cup cooked, Chia and flax seeds, four to five grams of protein for two tablespoons. Oats, five and a half grams of protein per half a cup. Hemp seeds with 10 grams of protein per two to three tablespoons. Nutritional yeast with 12 grams of protein for three tablespoons. Teff, which has five grams of protein per half a cup. And then seeds, sunflower, sesame, pumpkin, and nuts, raw almonds, walnuts, cashews, pistachios. They have about seven to nine grams of protein per quarter cup. And sprouted bread and tortillas, which have four to six grams of protein per slice or wrap. Okay, so there you have it. My personal thoughts on the three amigos that spark a lot of conversations. So, you know, if I were to take all the questions I receive from clients and followers and friends and cook them down into a stew, I would wind up with a huge, delicious pot of willpower. So I've begun working on something to help you with that. It's a project I've had brewing inside me that I'm soon going to pour into a mug and share with you like the most delicious matcha latte you've ever drank. If willpower is something you're struggling with, I encourage you to please, pretty please, with an organic cherry on top, take my short survey to alert me of your willpower woes so I can understand the absolute best way to help you never woe over willpower again. Go to partyinmyplants.com slash willpower for this like 30-second anonymous survey that'll help me help you leaps and bounds. That's partyinmyplants.com slash willpower. And that's a thank you so much for listening to the Party in My Plants podcast. Don't hesitate, you know, to pick up a copy of my book, Party in Your Plants, wherever books are safely and sanitarily sold. And I will chat with you again soon.